Welcome to the Institute of Men podcast, where we are figuring out what kind of men we want to be and pursuing that vision relentlessly for the rest of our lives. We derive wisdom from what is ancient, traditional, and from the greatest men in history. My name is Keaton Tucker, and I want to thank you for listening. Today, we are talking about getting strong and staying strong. Then we will talk about the character of St. Athanasius, and we'll be finishing with today's gospel coming from John chapter 6. If you are new to the podcast or you haven't hit that subscribe button, go ahead and do that now. And if you would be so kind, leave a five-star review. And if you want to get into heaven, leave a comment. It's guaranteed entrance into heaven if you leave a comment on your favorite listening app. Thank you for listening and supporting the Institute of Men. All right, everybody, welcome to the podcast. Like I said in the introduction, my name is Keaton. I do hope you're doing well, whether you're listening on a treadmill or an exercise or in your car or wherever you're listening. I hope you're doing well today. This podcast today, we are going to be talking about, well, we've got a lot of ground to cover today. And on this podcast, we tend to cover a lot of ground. Uh, We talk about the greatest men in history. We talk about scripture. We talk about developing character and living a life of virtue, things like this. And, you know, because I want to talk about things that will make us better men, more godly men, uh, men who pursue a vision of godliness. And after we've figured out what kind of man we want to be, and, you know, I've shared this before, I've had a vision that I of who I wanted to be from the time I was 25 until now. And it's grown and it's developed. And I want to be a man of war and a man of valor. And I want to be a saint and I want to be a legendary father. And I want to be a man of good presence. I want to be all those things. And I hope you do too. And we want to figure out, hey, what's this vision of the man that I want to be? And then how do I pursue that vision? That's why this podcast is called The Institute of Men. We're men learning how to become the men that God has designed us to be. We're also learning from the great men in history, whether they were saints, whether they were presidents, whether they were, you know, whatever. We want to learn from the greatest men in history. And today, you know, we know, you know, I said we talk about history, we talk about scripture, we talk about character. But today I actually I want to talk to you about an essential part of being a man that I believe needs to in some ways it needs to be reclaimed. But in some ways, it also needs to be put back into its proper place uh, because it's become kind of an it's become an idol of sorts. And so today I want to talk about becoming strong and staying strong because you and a man, you as a man should pursue having a strong body. So I I say reclaim because many men have traded in their God-given strength for a multitude of things, whether that's just pure laziness or personality or video games or slothfulness. It could be a multitude of things that men have traded in their strength for. It could just because they're used to sitting at a desk for work. You know, I've sit at a desk for work a lot of the time and it, it makes me feel kind of lethargic just sitting there all day. So there's a there's that reason that men have kind of traded in their strength, but then there's also, there's the whole worship of themselves, the idolatry of the body. You know, men whose entire Instagram is them lifting or flexing or mere selfies. Maybe they're doing both and it's just over and over and over again. It's like, dude, you've uploaded videos of you doing clean and jerks and squats and muscle-ups every day for three years. Like we get it. You're into fitness, you know? But whether they're looking for that that kind of affirmation. So you've got these two polar opposites. You've got men who have traded in their strength for 
you know, any multitude of reasons. Then you have men who who kind of worship themselves, and and we don't want to be in either one of those. I I believe very very much in health and fitness, very much. I don't quite believe it as far as the the trend, the societal trend goes. You'll notice there is a general societal trend towards what I would call the God of health and fitness. It's longevity and salvation through health and wellness. It is wake up in the morning, look in the sun with your eyes and eat keto, but with only meat and no carbs, but honey and you live the best life and become a God. You know, it's all over. What was the name of that guy who was, he, they found out he was doing liver King, liver King. Yeah, Liver King. That guy's videos, they were funny. But there's a lot of people that look at that and they're like, okay, that that is that's a form of salvation of, of some kind. And and uh so there's that part going on in culture. Now I, I do believe that fitness is essential to your well being. I essential I believe it's essential to your good. I believe um, you know, this podcast, we're doing an episode about getting strong. But as always, we just want to make sure that things are in their proper place and in proper order. Look, you were designed by God. You were. You, listener. You as a man. You were designed by God. He was intentional with how he designed you as a man. This is true of women, too. God designed women in a in a very purposeful way. There's their natural beauty. They are the crown of creation. They are the givers of life. Life comes from their body, but their their body was also designed to sustain life. Every part of a woman's body is designed to give life and sustain life. It's this really beautiful aspect of their femininity and of their creation. But you as a man also were designed by God and for a specific purpose. He gave you a skeletal system that is capable of bearing weight and taking a beating. He gave you a muscular system that is larger and stronger than females. And he gave you testosterone and other hormones that make you aggressive and strong. And God does not do things arbitrarily. He designed you to be strong for a purpose. Like you're not just, you're not just strong because of of your own, uh, because of hormone. Like those are a gift from God for a purpose. And you as a man, you are the defender of life. You're the defender of women and children. And I know all the superhero movies right now, they seem to have women who have managed who like managed to beat up men and which is kind of ridiculous because it would literally never ever happen uh, because the difference in strength between men and women, especially when you're adults, is just unbelievably vast. It's not even close. The strength of your body, Men. So like I said, you're the defender of life. That doesn't mean you go around like hitting everybody and being a shield. The strength of your body radiates and communicates safety to women and children. Like the, the sheer size of you communicates safety. So just to use the most extreme example, if you think of Dwayne The Rock Johnson, dude is gigantic. I bet without him doing anything, you would feel safer in his presence than some uh, than Sheldon from The Big Bang Theory, just because of the sheer size. Neither one of them have to do anything in a fight. Just the sheer size coming from his body. You're like he's much safer than Sheldon. Sheldon, and then because you know, I mean, maybe Sheldon's a black belt in something. I don't know. And if you haven't seen The Big Bang Theory or don't know who Sheldon is, just get on YouTube. It's hilarious. Can't recommend. I wouldn't say I recommend the show, but it is. It is a very funny show. Okay, so 
God designed you as a man to be the defender of life, to be the defender of women and children. And that natural strength of your body communicates to, it communicates safety to women and children. It communicates protection. It also communicates uh, possibility. You having a strong body is an essential part of being a man. Like I, I believe that. The strength of your body is also, I believe, part of your spiritual spirituality also. It's part of your walk with Christ. And you might be like, how is that possible? Well, uh, Jesus didn't squat. That's as far as I know. He didn't squat. You're right. Um, but he was a woodworker or he was a stonemason, depending on how you understand and translate You know what, his, what he did for a living. <laughs> Either way, both of those professions required a lot of strength. He also walked everywhere, caring about all his luggage, and then he was lacerated on his back 40 times which, with cuts that were about an inch deep when he was scourged before he was crucified, and he did that all without pass, passing out. So that tells me he was probably a very, very strong man. And the strongest people, you know, the strongest people I meet are all construction workers, and Jesus was a construction worker. So there's that aspect where, you know, Jesus was probably physically strong, but that's not exactly what I meant. The strength, like the strength of your body helps you walk with Christ and in your spiritual development because it mitigates against slothfulness, which if you listen to my Seven Deadly Sins podcast, you'll know slothfulness is one of the seven deadly sins, and it keeps you from doing the things you know you ought to be doing. Uh, strength in your body creates energy so that you can pray without falling asleep, so you can be present with your family without disengaging, so that you can read the Bible and actually understand it. Um, it creates, it trains your body for endurance. It trains you to do hard things so that when the pains and sufferings of life come your way, you've already prepared in a way. It also helps you mitigate stress. You know, because stress can help, will steal away from your spirituality and then it'll keep you awake. And if you're awake too long, your stress goes up because you're tired and then you just you fall into lethargy. And actually, there was a pastor years ago. I heard him say when when fatigue walks in, faith walks out during this whole message he was giving. He was talking about all the different kinds of fatigue and mental fatigue, bodily fatigue, uh, spiritual fatigue, emotional fatigue and how all of these push out faith. But you and the reason is is like you cannot detach your spirit and your soul from your body. They're one. They exist together until death. When you were formed and knit together in your mother's womb and when you were birthed and when you have grown, your soul and your spirit and your body, they've all grown together. You're going to get a resurrected body later. But right now on this earth, like you live in a body and it's it's your temple. It's it goes everywhere with you and we need to make sure we're taking good care of it. And recognizing that it's an essential part of our being, that it's a gift of God. And um, there's there's actually a whole theology of the body that is worth delving into. If you really want to understand all, all the beauty of the, of the body. And you got to also remember that Jesus was incarnated. God took on flesh. And St. Athanasius, we're going to be talking about him in a little bit. And I talked about him on the last podcast the center of his theology and what he thought was the most important thing in all of theology was the incarnation of Jesus. He thought it was the central thing. And I think if we were to, I, I haven't done this myself too much, but if we were to dwell on God putting on flesh, probably dealing with shoulder pain, like I have some shoulder pain today or dealing with cramps dealing with all the other stuff that comes with having a body. 
then the excitement of having a of a, a body being strong and being able to lift something, being able to mess around with his friends and you know all the other things that you get to do with your body. And God put that on. He became like us in that way. And there's that that would be worth dwelling on quite a bit because that is a very central part. Uh, but being back, plus being strong is taking care of your family because your family, if you don't have a family, when you do have a family or if you do have a family, your family needs you around and they need you to be able to do stuff with them and for them as long as possible. Like your wife depends on your strength. Your children take your strength for granted. You know, I, when I was a kid, the fight that I would have with all of my friends, when we, we'd get in arguments in preschool and elementary school, we didn't say, I could beat you up or you could, you know, we didn't do any of that. It was my, my dad could beat up your dad. That that was the fight. That was the final argument. Like, no, my dad could beat up your dad. My dad's a black belt. Yeah, but my dad bench presses. There's this proverb that says, the glory of children is their fathers. The glory of children is their fathers. The glory of young men is their strength. There is something about being strong that just is, it's part of your glory. It's part of you as a man. And so that's, I hope that convinces you. But if that doesn't, here's a quote from a philosopher and then here's a quote from another man. So here, this is this is a quote attributed to Socrates. No man has the right to be an amateur in the matter of physical training. It is a shame for a man to grow old without seeing the beauty and strength of which the body is capable. Now, when he says beauty, I don't think he means like what we mean with bodybuilders who you know, flex and tan and all that kind of stuff, but what the body is capable of when it is put to physical tests and physical suffering. You have no idea, like, especially when you're young, you have no idea what your body's fully capable of. And you get to discover this as you get older. And eventually, you know, later in your life, your body's going to eventually begin to wear out, but it will wear out earlier if you don't become strong now. Here's another quote. This is actually from Theodore Roosevelt's father. Theodore Roosevelt, when he was young, he had really, really bad asthma. He was a very sickly little boy. I mean, like 70 pounds soaking wet right before high school, like tiny, 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 because his asthma was so bad. Well, his dad took him aside one day, you know, because his dad would carry him in the cold air when he was having asthma attacks just so that he could breathe. And they did the doctors didn't think he was going to be able to do anything because this asthma was so, so bad. But he was this brilliant, brilliant young man, very well read, because all he could do, he could sit inside and read all day. And his father takes him aside. You know, I think he's like 11 years old, and he, he tells his son, he's a father-son moment. He says, Theodore, you have the mind, but you do not have the body. And without the help of the body, your mind cannot go as far as it should. I'm going to give you the tools, but it's up to you to make your body. So this father takes his young son aside and basically says, dude, you're brilliant and you have a bright future ahead if you can take care of your body. If you cannot, your body will be the hindrance to your future. You'll remain sick. You won't be able to do stuff. You, you, and so you need to do something to build your body. I'm going to give you the tools. He built him a gym at his home. It was a gymnastic type gym with bo- uh, and boxing, gymnastics and boxing. And he said, I'll give you the tools, but you are going to have to make your body, which was his father's way of saying, like, you're going to have to work hard and you're not going to be able to breathe, but you're going to have to work, basically work away this asthma. And he did it. 
If you look up a picture of Theodore Roosevelt when he's an older adult, he's a very thick chest, thick arms, thick legs. And he, he was known for his physical strength, his powerful body, and also his mind. But it wasn't that way always. It's because he took care of his body like he, because of his father's charge. And he worked out and he worked out. And his asthma never bothered him again. Not once. And that's because your body and your mind, they're integrated because your father has designed them this way. And if you take care of your body and you push through and you suffer in your body, it clears up your mind and it makes everything better and it will make you feel like a man. Now, before we move forward, I'm using the word strong on purpose. I do not mean a bodybuilder. I do not mean pec deck flies or chest day or leg day or arm day. I don't mean any of that stuff. I don't believe in segmented training. I don't believe in bodybuilding. I'm talking about being strong. I'm talking about being able to lift things. I'm not talking about being about looking like a model and I'm not talking about being a power lifter either. I mean, I don't think it's necessary for you to be able to deadlift the earth, you know, 800, 900 pounds or 700 pounds or 600 pounds. That's not what I'm talking about at all. And I'm definitely not talking about bodybuilding because bodybuilding will make you vain and it'll make you help hate yourself. Actually, um, I think that it's, uh, you know, bodybuilding is better than nothing. Sure. But it's not great for being strong. Your body was designed to work as a unit. So like it is meant to look work all together. So if you segment things as part of your fitness, like you're doing arms one day, completely neglect everything else, you're not teaching your body to work as a unit. And it forces bodybuilding forces you to worship the body and to degrade the body because it's your body is not ideal, but you want it to be ideal. You want it to be perfect. So you're looking at yourself and it always must be changed. They got to get tighter here, bigger here, looser there. Like everything. And you you end up altering and abusing your body. Bodybuilding in its competitive form is abuse to the body. I've known plenty of bodybuilders and all of them abuse themselves mentally and physically. They will overeat, overeat, overeat just to get bigger, 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 bigger. And then they will starve themselves into nothing. And then if they're not as thin and ripped or as cut or whatever, they will abuse themselves mentally while starving themselves and it messes up all their hormones and their, their life. And, and it's because they're obsessing over every little thing. And, you know, this is, they're worshiping themselves and anything, anytime you worship yourself, anytime or anytime really that you worship anything other than God, it lends itself to some form of self abuse. There's this odd correlation when you worship something that is not God, there is this, there is self abuse. Like uh, Elijah's a great example when he's battling the prophets at Baal. They all they're worshiping false gods, and one of the things they do in order to worship is they start cutting themselves and offering these degrade themselves as degrading sacrifices. And there's there is a weird correlation between when you worship yourself, you tend to degrade yourself. When you worship God, you you don't. <clears throat> Everything you worship that is not God requires you to abuse yourself. <clears throat> so, which is just an odd thing. So, I'm when I'm talking about getting strong. I don't mean bodybuilding. That was a long, long rant. But here's here's what I do mean. I do know a little bit about being strong. I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast, uh, but I come from a very strong family. My father was very, very strong. Um, you know, it's funny. He actually gets stronger every year. He talks about how strong he was. <laughs> Kidding, Dad. Um, 
but yeah, my father was very, very strong. My grandfather on both sides were very strong. I mean, my grandfather on my mother's side was a farmer and a teacher. And so he was very strong. My dad's father was very strong. My brothers are strong and I'm, I'm a pretty strong guy. Uh, I've always wanted to be strong because my dad was strong. Like I, that's what I want. I, Cause I wanted to be like my dad and my dad was strong. It's like, I have to be strong. And I remember my dad told me about a guy named Charles Atlas. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. The guy could drive nails into a board with his hand. And I'm like 10. I'm like, can I do it? No, I can't. I'm weak. <laughs> um, but I remember I just, I really wanted to be strong. There was something about it that I thought was very manly. And so I, I would do push-ups and all sorts of stuff to get strong. And I remember getting my first set of weights when I was, I think I was 12 years old. Got it from, it was called Galleons Sports, I think is what it was called. Galleons. It was near our house. It's now called Dick's Sporting Goods. And I maybe had 60 pounds um, of weights, maybe 60 pounds. And I would do everything with it. And then, like, so I would I'd do squats, I would do overhead presses, I would do whatever I could, bent over rows. And then I would do all these sprints at night at the park. I wanted to just go sprint as fast as I could. And by the time, you know, I did that from 12 until I was about 15. And by 15, I was able to squat 365 pounds. Set a freshman record at my high school. And, and then, I like, I've hit a 350-pound squat clean before. I've hit an overhead press of over 225 pounds. I mean, like strict press. Like I'm, I'm, I know how to get strong. I've been strong most of my life. And I've been lifting weights and I've been doing physical training now for about 20 years. Uh, maybe a little bit more depending on when you start. About, but about 20 years. And in the last few years, I've been doing less and less physical training than I was. You know, in high school, I would work out like six days a week because I was playing football and wrestling and doing track. And then... I got into college and I started working out a little bit less because I got a little lazy and I wasn't playing football and I got a little fat and that kind of thing. You Like you do in college, we had part of our meal plan. I got to eat at Pizza Hut every day and <laughs> that didn't help. And then, you know, halfway through college, I got really into CrossFit. And so you think, oh, you must have lost a lot of your strength during those times when you weren't working out. But I, I didn't because I was doing enough to maintain. And then I got really into CrossFit and all that strength, it came back it came back roaring. So I finished high school with a 500 pound squat. I've never actually squatted more than 500 pounds. I don't think you need to be able to squat more than 500 pounds. I'm not going to destroy my back by lifting as, you know, as much weight as a truck. So I got very good at CrossFit. I got very competitive in it. And, um, I thought I wanted to compete, decided I'd rather spend time with friends and being involved in church and growing and that kind of thing. And then I got married and you know, if I was lucky when I was married, especially when I had kids, if I could work out two to three times per week consistently, that was really, really good. And then I got a little fat <laughs> again, just back and forth, not super fat, but my strength really never went away. It would diminish a little bit, but it it wouldn't, it would come back very, very quickly. And I thought that was very, very interesting. My brother-in-law, he gives me a hard time for it. He's like, you just have this unique ability to stay strong. And I'm like, I don't know if that's it. And I want to share the thing that I've learned with you about getting strong and staying strong. Because if you want to get strong, you're going to probably want to find a program and it'll be like five by five or it'll be a reverse pyramid or it'll be a pyramid and it'll be like, you need to do 70% one day, 75% and then you hit 90 and you're going to, you're going to do it and you're going to be really, really sore and you're going to be like, after six weeks, you're going to be like, oh, I'm only like, I'm not that much stronger, but I'm worn out. My body's beat up. Like what the heck? Ugh. Okay, so I want I want to share what I've learned with you 
And um, here I'm going to give you three things that really should do. One is do the strength lifts. Um, so, you know, not necessarily, you're not curls. I don't care if you do curls, but if you want to get strong, you need to do squat lifts like squat, deadlift, the bent over row, bench press, the overhead press. Those are going to be your strong, your lifts that make you strong. They're compound movements. They force your body to work as a unit. You do those in some form, you're going to get stronger. Physical, the second thing is physical work will make you strong. It's very difficult to replace physical strength, especially because physical strength makes your hands strong and you can only really be as strong as your hands. If you think about it, think about it. You can only be as strong as what your hands can hold on to. And so like things like chopping wood, moving wheelbarrows, shoveling your own snow instead of snow blowing it, carving wood. I actually was trying to shave some wood with my pocket knife the other night because I was trying to get some kindling for a fire and my hands just felt worn out and manly. It was awesome, but they were exhausted also. But, 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 so you do do the strength lifts, do physical work, but here's the thing that I've learned that will, on how to get strong and stay strong, there's one key thing that you have to do and it's called volume. That's it, volume. Literally, there's nothing. If you do volume training, you will get stronger and you will stay strong. Now, what do I mean by volume? The opposite of volume is doing nothing. So, as long as you're doing something and you stay relatively consistent over time, you're going to stay strong. So, there, you're going to get strong and you're going to stay strong. So, I mean, there was times when I was working out six days a week. There was times in my life when I was working out two days a week. There was times in my life where I was working out once a once a month and then but that was for a short period of time then I'd get to two to three days and then I'd get to five days and it would be you know but it wasn't consistent week to week but it was consistent over 20 years and it got during that 20 years I got in a lot of volume which is means I worked it was just consistent workouts where I did something when I did some of the strength movements in some capacity over time that is volume and that's how you get strong. I don't mean going to the gym today and doing 10 sets of 10 reps on every single movement. I don't mean that at all. What I mean is doing something often and over time. And then you also, you don't need to go for broke every single workout. Every workout doesn't need to be the hardest workout that you've ever done. You don't always need to do the heaviest sets and you don't always need to follow a training program. You just need to get in and do some weights. And let me give you two examples. Uh, so I've been squatting for about 20 years. And for a period of time recently, I did not I did not squat over 225 pounds. So uh, like, you know, I mean, I've hit a 500-pound back squat. I've hit 400-pound back squats. I, and I've, I've done as much as 365 for three sets of 20 before, like I, I've, which was insane. It was so tiring. But then I went through a period of time where I was like, I really don't, I just, I don't want to mess up my joints. I want to take care of my spine, all that kind of stuff. And because if you, you could be strong, but you can also wear out your joints and your, and your ligaments by having too much weight over time without actually getting stronger. And so I went through a period where I was like, I'm never going to, I'm not going to squat more than 225 pounds and I'm not going to do it very often. So when I would squat and it was maybe twice a month, it'd be like one, 135, 185, maybe 225 here and there, but almost like it was just lightweight wouldn't do anything more. Sometimes it was for sets of three, sometimes sets of 10, but I did the movement. And <laughs> after I did that for probably six or seven months, and I was like, I wonder if I, how strong I am now. And, and I went and I hit 400 pounds for two reps. As long as you're doing something, you're going to get stronger. And here, here's the other example I'll give you. It's actually from my workout yesterday. I, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm getting back into a, a time in my life where I'm, I'm working out a little bit harder than I was. I have a little bit more free time. And um, I also have access to a CrossFit gym right down the street from my house because I'm coaching there part time. And I get to do that for free. I love, and I, I only do CrossFit when I can co- do it for free because I don't want to pay for it. And so I got the level one so I can coach and now I can do it for free. And so I, I was doing my workout yesterday and I like, I was like, I'm gonna do some intervals on the row and some handstand pushups. And I was like, well, I'm gonna do three sets hard and the rest of them, I'm not going to do very hard at all. And I haven't rode that much in my three sets. I could still hit my fast pace. I couldn't hit it for as long, but I could still hit it. And what I'm trying to get at is because I've done so much volume, everything stays relatively consistent. There's some times when it's uncomfortable, but because I've stayed consistent over years, I've stayed strong. If you want to get strong and you want to stay strong, the key is volume. If you do any sort of strength movement over time at any amount of weight, you will get strong and you will strong because volume is the factor that matters. All right. I want to talk about the character of St. Athanasius. If you listen to my very last podcast, the one that was right before this episode, I did a I did a podcast about St. Athanasius asking the question, did St. Athanasius save Christianity? And I was recording it and I told you at the very beginning of the podcast, I don't want to get all caught up in the details. And I got caught up in the details anyway because I was so I love this moment in church history where it had to do with the Nicene Creed and the Arian heresy. And I felt like at the end of it, <clears throat> I was like, wow, I just talked for 45 minutes and I didn't really actually talk about the character, the character traits of St. Athanasius. And so I actually want to come back and I want to talk about the character traits of St. Athanasius that made him this monumental figure early in Christianity that helped get the Nicene Creed established, which is where we get the doctrine of the Trinity stated very clearly and explicitly. To deny it is then to deny is to no longer be Christian. And he was a key player, the leader, in making sure that happened over a 53-year period. Go and listen to the podcast because the Nicene Creed was started in 325. It was finally settled in 381. So that's, no, it's 26 years or 56 years. Excuse me. Um, Don't check my math. I may be wrong. It was over a long period of time and they make the creed and it almost goes out and Arianism takes over, which denies the co-eternality of Jesus. And St. Athanasius writes letters and he preaches and he stays faithful and he prays and, and eventually things get back to orthodoxy. And it, so there's this man who, who led through this whole thing and, but I didn't focus on the character. And so I want to look at some of the character traits. Um, and so I did some research on what was St. Athanasius like. And if you remember, I read this quote about his appearance and about his personality. And here's what it said. He was slightly below middle height, spare in build, but well knit and intensely energetic. He had a finely shaped head set off with a thin growth growth of auburn hair, small but sensitively a small but sensitively mobile mouth, an aquiline nose, and eyes of intense but kindly brilliance. He had a ready wit, he was quick in intuition, easy and affable in manner, pleasant in conversation, keen and perhaps somewhat too unsparing in 
debate. So they, this is a description that somebody gave of him. He's like, well, he's kind of small, but he's, you know, he's well, he's well knit together. So he's probably pretty strong. He has a lot of energy, but he's also really short. He's got a fine shaped head. And we know that because his hair has fallen out. Ah, man, he's got a small mouth, but he can talk really quick. His nose is pointy. His eyes are very intense. He looks into your soul, but he's like a good person to have a conversation with. And if you get into a debate, he's going to win because he is quick in his intuition. That's what this this guy basically said. And in, and in in my research, you know, over and over it said that man, this guy Saint Athanasius, he wasn't the most brilliant person that ever lived, but he was intellectually gifted. You know, he was born at a time that he helped shape the events of, and a lot of people wrote that he was kind of destined to do something great within Christianity. As a kid, he would play baptism with his friends. So he would take his friends down to like a river or he'd get a jar and pour water on them and be like, I'm baptizing you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he's like eight. And that level of, um, you know, that caught the attention of people in in the area. And then he was also self-educated in his young years. He did everything he could to learn and study. And that caught the attention of the Bishop of Alexandria named Alexander who brought him into the church. And some people, he, he was known as being very, very self-disciplined. And there, there's all of these traits that he had in his young years that played out that kind of positioned him for what he would do later in his life. But there were, there were two other qualities that really stood out when it came to St. Athanasius. Um, they said that uh, in one, one, area of research said he was this these were like the conspicuous traits of Saint Athanasius that bore testimony to who he was. And the first one was he was endowed with a sense of humor that could be as mordant as it um as it was on spontaneous and unfailing. Um I had to look up what that meant. I I didn't know what the word mordant mean, but that was a quote. He had a, he was endowed with a sense of humor that could be as mordant as it seemed to be, have been spontaneous and mordant means uh, showing sharp or critical quality. It's kind of a biting sense of humor. So that means he could criticize his opponents with a joke. <laughs> you didn't know if you should laugh or if you should be offended. That's how kind of his, um, his humor was, but he was also spontaneously funny. He could tell a joke at any time about anything. Both of my brothers are able to do that. They can tell a joke about anything at any time, and it's a sign of brilliancy. Like my brother Dylan will pull out an office quote for literally any situation you've ever been in. You'll be in an argument with Colin, and he'll make you start laughing at your own argument, even if he's wrong, and now suddenly the argument's over He because they're both brilliant, and, and that's how St. Athanasius was. And he could be sp- he could be funny at a spontaneous time. It like, he just pull it out at any, any given moment. He didn't need to be a comedian on a stage. He just, at any time he could be very, very funny. And we all know being a funny man, like if you're funny, people like being around you because it's just, you're, you tend to have a lighter sense of life. You're more fun. You're going to make people laugh and people like to laugh. It feels good. And so here's a man who was shaped by his time. Who's a fighter but he was also funny and he could dispel people with his humor. You know, you're like, that's a good, good quality. And then there was this other one. So he was funny and he is, he had courage 
that was the sort that never falters, even in the most disheartening hour of defeat. And I, as I mentioned, so he has courage, man, courage, courage, courage. <clears throat> and I mentioned last time he was exiled five times during his life. Five times he would be removed from his home. Five times he was removed from his church, his community, all for standing firm on what he believed was true, on what is, not just what he, on what is true, and for defending the faith. You remember, he was removed by political people, uh, emperors and soldiers. He even had soldiers come into his church and try to remove him. And he he just left. He went. And here, here's this quote that I found about his courage. There is one other note in this highly gifted and many-sided personality to which everything else in his nature literally ministered and which must be kept steadily in view if we would possess the key to his character and his writing and his understanding of the and the extraordinary significance of his career in the history of the Christian church. So it wasn't his courage and it wasn't his humor, but there's this other this other instinct, this other personality thing that mattered a lot. He was by instinct, he was neither a liberal nor a conservative in theology. Indeed, the terms have a singular inappropriateness as applied to the temperament like his. From first to last, he cared greatly for one thing and one thing only, the integrity of the profession of the truth and the Nicene Creed. The religion it engendered in him was obviously, considering the traits by which he tried to depict him, it was an, of a passionate and consuming sort. It began and ended with a devotion to the divinity of Jesus Christ. So St. Athanasius, he was courageous and he was able to handle all of the turmoil with the backbone of steel. That was how another person described him, a backbone of steel because of his love for the truth and for Christ incarnate in the fullness of the faith. He loved it. He was devoted to it. He was loyal to it. And it didn't matter what you threw at this guy. It was to, to live as Christ, to die as gain. It didn't matter. And he didn't want another adjective in front of Christian. He was a hundred percent Christian. He cared for the confession of the faith established clearly and distinctly in the Nicene Creed. And he would defend it to his dying day, which he did. And if you're in that last podcast, I talked about, he never saw the finalization of the Nicene Creed, which is the basic statement of Christian belief. In this man, his love for the truth was so strong that he would go on to shape the struggle of his times by courage and his complete devotion to the truth. And I think that's amazing. But the other thing that's so amazing about it is, and I said this last time, is he did it without being a rebel. Some people are so filled with zeal and love of the truth that they're willing to be a rebel. And they disguise the rebellion of their heart with zeal. Like They're like, I'm not a rebel. I'm just zealous for the truth. It's like God has ordained authority and asked that we work within that authority and never once, I mean, he was exiled by the emperor five times. Never once did he rebel against that authority, but he used the means at his disposal, letters, preaching, convincing arguments to win over his cause over the course of 56 years that established the orthodox faith, uh, the orthodoxy of the faith. And that's what he was called. He was called the the, uh, the champion of orthodoxy. And he did it without rebellion because God does not honor rebellion. All authority has been instituted by God and ordained by God. And we are to honor that authority, even if they're wrong. And we use the means at our disposal without being a rebel 
to work for the good and for the truth through thick and thin, through suffering. And that is the greatest, greatest quality, I think, of St. Athanasius is that he fought for the truth his entire life with a backbone of seal and a sense of humor without being a rebel once. And that is a man worth imitating. All right, today's gospel comes from John chapter 6. We're reading three verses. Here, let me just read this to you. This is Jesus talking to a crowd, and he says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and him who comes to me I will not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but I will raise it up at the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's John 6, 37 through 40. And my short little thing on this today is the gospel is in today's gospel. Now, I'm of the opinion that the whole of the four gospels is the gospel. What's the gospel? It's the whole thing. It's Matthew 1 through John 21. That's the gospel. And But the peak of it, the pinnacle of the gospel, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's like that's the summit. That's the highest view. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's like, if you believe in me, eternal life. And it's not, and then you know what I also love? I didn't put this in my notes, but I noticed as I was reading it, is if you come in your life, because I, I do believe that you can lose your salvation. Let's say you believe in Jesus. You get baptized. You belong to God now. And it says that it's the will of the Father that none be lost that have come to him and that Jesus will do anything he can to search out those who are lost. He will go find them. He's like, you're mine. You're mine. I'm bringing them. And and he will search out and never give up on someone who has once been his. I think that is amazing. He's like, you and I can, I think I can testify that into my, in my life. Cause there was a time when I, I never didn't believe but I didn't care. And I swear God would not leave me alone until I came back. Like I swear. And I, you know, I was baptized at 13 and I re got rebaptized when I was 23. And at the time I was like, this is my rededication to myself as the Lord. And that's really what it felt like. It was this encounter with God. And, but I was his from the time I was 13 when I got baptized. And you could even say, like, my parents dedicated me when I was, like, one. I, I have to ask them. I was young. I was, like, one when they dedicated me, which meant God was coming for me anyway. You know, he's like, oh, well, your parents gave you to me, so you're mine anyway. And then, my, my, you know, I had my choice at 13, and I was baptized. And and he comes and looks for you. And I just I think that's amazing. That's, that was just not in my notes. That's just the thought I'm having. The peak of the gospel, the summit of the gospel is, like, eternal life with G- through Jesus Christ our Lord. But it's also the starting point. If you were to, if someone were to ask you, why should I believe in Jesus? The best answer that you can give is, it's you're going to get the eternal life you're looking for. God has wired eternal life into people's hearts. He's wired like this radar that's just looking for him, and, and there's nothing that people can do about it. So why should I believe in Jesus? It's like because you get the eternal life you're looking for. Eternal as in forever but also eternal as in quality as well. Because like, imagine you meet somebody who's just their entire life is nothing but pain and suffering. And you're like, yeah, but you could live forever. They'd be like, I don't want to live forever. My life is, I want my life to be better. And you're like, yeah, you, 
will, Jesus will make it better. He'll give you the eternal quality of life, a life that cannot be broken down and one that is forever. And it's with me and it's with my father, it's with the Holy Spirit and it's with all of those who call upon Jesus. Why should I believe in Jesus? Because you get the eternal life. And right now you can receive that down payment. You can, you know, that's you can, you call it that almost where you get to experience a part of heaven now through joy in the Holy Spirit and the communion of the saints and the great cloud of witnesses. And, but it won't compare with what is to come because, and you know, everyone who believes will have eternal life and everyone is searching for that eternal life. And man, I wonder sometimes, and maybe we have a hard time sharing the gospel with some people because we try to make it a little bit too complicated or maybe not even complicated. Maybe we just start in the wrong spot instead of what, instead of we, you know, we go with, you know, for you start with, well, he'll forgive you your sins. And a lot of people in this day and age would be like, okay, what is a sin? What is that? Because in relative truth, what is that? Maybe they may not even know. Maybe they do know, but was it like, what is it? Do you, he's offering you, his life. And maybe we need to start there when it comes to sharing the gospel. Like, hey, why should I believe in Jesus? Because he's going to give you eternal life. That's all I have for you today. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast app or on YouTube. If you want to dive deeper into the Institute of Men, become a subscriber on instituteofmen.org. There you can sign up for my newsletter, choose a free or paid subscription, and then you'll be able to receive exclusive content. Financial support of any kind is very much appreciated. If you didn't like this content, just pretend you didn't listen. That helps us out too. Until next time, I'm Keaton Tucker, and this is the Institute of Men podcast. Podcast.